Hello everybody and welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast on Friday, which is really great considering what we're talking about is a movie called His Girl Friday. I'm Nolan Dean, one of your hosts. I'm back after two weeks, just like the new setup is. And back as always is Morgan, who I assume you're not sick of, but you might be sick of me. Hey buddy. Hello, I am back. I'm always here. I uh, actually didn't clock on to the whole situation with Friday there. That's very clever. I like that. Was that the reason? Was that the reason you no. chose this movie because you know full well that it's a wonderful podcast. The main show goes out on a Friday. Well, I didn't choose it because of that. I just literally looked at my computer and it says Thursday. I'm like, oh, this comes out tomorrow. Oh, it's called His Girl Friday. That's quite. That's quite funny. It's just a funny little thing. It is a funny little thing, and it's a funny little movie, Nolan. Yeah, we're back in the screwball comedies. We haven't done one of these in a while. A long time, actually. I can't... Um, maybe something like uh, The Women from 1939 was probably the last... I suppose is that even, that's not even a screwball comedy, is it? It's just kind of a fast-paced comedy. You might have to go back really, really far to a true screwball comedy. Um yeah. Will it top bringing up baby? We'll find out. Oh, <laughs> hey, that's a good first question. That's a good first question. What, which do you prefer, bringing up baby or his girl Friday? Personally, personally, I've always been a little bit more of a bringing up baby fan, just because Probably it's a, the just same because, for me. Just because it's a sillier movie, and I think Catherine Hepburn in Bringing Up Baby is just that sort of next level of really, really annoys the... really, really annoys Cary Grant, and, but also is, like, way sillier than uh, Rosalind but Russell. Cary, but we do have Cary Grant in this movie. Who, we do. Uh, I'm, I'm officially renaming uh, Old Hollywood Superman. That's pretty much who he was. Cary Grant should have been Superman. Cary Grant Superman would have been... Immaculate. Cary Grant. I just want like a forties serial <laughs> Superman with Cary Grant. That is precisely if if old Hollywood would have taken superheroes as seriously as those do today. Cary Grant Superman, absolutely ideal. Absolutely get, ideal. Get Jimmy Stewart as Lex Luthor. Fucking make it. <laughs> I don't think um, Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Stewart playing a very off uh, off character, very out of type. If if he was to be uh, to be a uh, Lex Luthor, it's an interesting casting choice. It's a very interesting casting choice. But yes, we do have Cary Grant, of course, in his Girl Friday, um, playing alongside Rosalind Russell, who we did last see on this show in 1939's The Women. Um, which she was great in that, and she's great in this. I, I love Rosalind Russell in this. The only reason I was uh, saying I preferred uh, a Catherine Hepburn in Bringing Up Baby was purely the silliness aspect, because I think silliness is a big part of a, a screwball comedy, as much as it's sort of always a battle of the sexes and always a fast pace. I think you add that little bit of wackiness um, that you certainly do get in His Go Friday, but you get in absolute spades in Bring It Up Baby. Um, well, I think it really helps. The reason I picked this, uh, though, was actually uh, 
you you know who the nerd writer is, yeah? Yes. Uh, well, he recently did a video on uh, the movie Spotlight about how it dramatized uh, being in journalism. Yes. And he, he saw His Girl Friday as an example of that, so I wanted to see how that would compare and what this movie's take on journalism is as opposed to what Spotlight is. Spotlight is obviously way darker and way more yeah. serious. But this doesn't, like, treat the journalism as a something funny. In fact, it's kind of funny the way how serious they play it. I would like to get your thoughts on this because, uh, for those who don't know, my uh, university degree is in journalism and for a, a little section of that uh, three-year degree, um, we sort of did like a journalism studies kind of module, kind of class, um, of which one essay was... Um, representations of journalism in movies. Guess which one I picked? Um, it was this movie. So uh, I would like to get your your thoughts on how you think the journalism is presented in His Girl Friday. Well, it's, it sort of comes to the characters for me. Rosalind Russell and Cary Grant, who... I, I can't remember it being very clear. Were they, like, recently divorced or just, like, a couple yeah. who were bickering all the time? Yeah, they... Um, at the start, yeah, at the start of this movie, uh, Hildy, who is Rosalind Russell, is uh, Cary Grant, who is Walter Burns, I think is his name. Um, yeah, that's, that yes, I remember. They used to be married. She is his ex-wife and former star reporter, because he's the newspaper editor. She was the reporter who left, and he's now sort of half back, and that's how the movie starts. He tries to get her back for one last story almost because he kind of wants her back when he when he finds out that she's uh, with Ralph Bellamy now um yes sorry why, is it, why does I, that, did I despise people with the last name Bellamy so who, who else who else i can just think of one other person with the last name Bellamy who is it the same person we're thinking of the muse <sighs> singer no no it isn't it certainly oh. isn't it certainly isn't mine, uh, and those I don't know. I don't know if anybody listening to this is actually, um, we, you know, we, we for being a half UK based uh, podcast feed, uh, an overwhelming percentage of our listeners is American. So nobody probably knows mildly obscure journeyman. English footballers of the 2000s, but Craig Bellamy was who I was thinking of, who used to play for Liverpool and Manchester City and Blackburn. Let's see, I was thinking of Matt Bellamy, the lead singer from Muse. Both of whom, presumably, are nasty people. I don't think he's a nasty person, he just gives this aura of pretentiousness. Yeah, I mean, Craig, Craig, Craig Bellamy, for, for that instance, is... Is well, well, he played for Liverpool and, and Manchester City, so that tells you all you need to know, I think. About Not a Craig very nice Bellamy. Book, then. Um, I don't know him personally, but you know, naturally, I don't like him. So, uh, Ralph Bellamy Football, on the yes. Ralph Bellamy on the other hand, who's in this movie, is uh, perfectly perfectly likable, even though he's kind of the boring now fiance of of Hildy. Um, which is kind of a state it's a it's like a set character in rom-coms the it is. new husband who's really nice but it's just really lame yep 
and and Cary Grant's just all fun-loving. Cary Grant is constantly making jokes about uh, Ralph Bellamy. Uh, and it really makes me laugh very near the start when um, when they're still in the the sort of newsroom. And Cary Grant walks to the front of the newsroom and starts talking to that other old guy as though he's her fiancé now. And he pays no attention to actual Ralph Bellamy, who, um, I forget his name, what's his name? Bruce? Or something like that? I think, yeah, Bruce. Um, (laughs) But he keeps being interrupted by Bruce, saying like, oh, I'm Bruce, no, I'm Bruce. And And Cary Grant's having absolutely none of it. He's just like, I'm sorry, I'm talking to this gentleman who he thinks is Bruce, or maybe he doesn't think he's Bruce, but he's just trying to play a trick on Hildy because that's exactly what this movie is. It's playing tricks on each other for 90 minutes, and it's great. The thing that... Because I said to you at the beginning of this, before we started recording, this movie moves so fast that I struggled to kind of keep up with it, but what I did get was, here are these two main characters who were divorced and clearly trying to get back with one another but they're so married to their job and that's oh, what yeah. kind of keeps them apart yeah i mean they do love they do love what they do in in that way it's kind of a it is kind of a really interesting depiction of of journalism really because it is both sort of like almost a love letter to and a kind of um judgment of journalism because it's clear that Cary Grant, Rosalind Russell absolutely love the newspaper business especially Could you say it's a satire then a little bit almost almost but it's kind but it is like you said very very chaotic and newsrooms are like that newsrooms are they're not quite this chaotic Unless something big happens. But it is... um, It's an entertaining depiction of journalism, but also kind of, if you are familiar with how newsrooms work, um, it's very kind of stupidly accurate in the chaos sense. Because... And you said it was that fast-paced and that chaotic. Sometimes it is like that. Um... But, like you said, the the actual two main characters are so in love with that whole situation that it's also that kind of, well, journalism's great, the media's great, but also it's in love with itself, but also it's mad and silly. And that's just kind of what this movie's trying to say, basically. Requires a lot of focus because, uh, I mean, talk about citing your sources when it comes to journalism. They go through every fucking source <laughs> possible. Oh, <laughs> uh, it is kind of the thing is, it, you know, you could almost you could also look at it as a kind of with it being so fast paced, it's this sort of exactly what people now think of old school journalism. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. When it's all, oh, fast pace here now, read the story, extra, extra, it's very like that. It's very, very, very like that. Everything is a mile a minute. Still is. I mean, 
could you i mean look at the people who post reaction videos to trailers like sure two seconds after they drop absolutely absolutely it's not the media and journalism hasn't actually changed at all in its core since his girl friday came out you can look at it it's now and recognize so quickly yeah you can look at it now you can look at this movie now and recognize that media is exactly the same style and it's exactly it's consumed as quickly if not quicker obviously because we are technologically more advanced than a newspaper these days but it's the same it's the same style but i think it's got that sort of old school not ne- not necessarily nostalgic but kind of interest in the past uh, element to it because mm-hmm. i feel like people who are into the media today look at his girl friday as they sort of oh the good old days that's how it used to be everybody on a newspaper being mental with each other um you know yeah i I sort of get that and it kind of makes me glad that i never ended up pursuing journalism it's very quick original plan look it's very quick you can go into many different uh aspects with it of course um i didn't do it to work in a newsroom for example um, I used to be because... a film critic, and I fucking hated it. <laughs> well, I see. I don't mind that sort of stuff, um, but to 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 work in a in a newsroom is manic. It's as manic as this movie suggests it is sometimes, and um, that's that's basically. I don't think the movie is trying to say anything necessarily. Is just purely this kind of depiction of journalism and the media that's in love with itself and absolutely chaotic very chaotic um considering i mean the whole thing was kind of like i read it as okay we've got this guy who was accused of a uh, murder he's going to be executed what if he's innocent but they yeah. I think he sort of brings that in because he's like oh i know he's not innocent but i'll do it anyway just to keep her here turns out he might actually be innocent it's not quite a, a twelve angry men courtroom drama, though. No, it's not. It's completely insane. It is, um, like you said as well. It's so quick that you can miss a lot of the kind of little jokes and little witty remarks sometimes. But did you, by any chance, catch any in particular that you really loved? The Cary Grant witty remarks, because there's a lot of them. The one that sticks out to me, that's just that I'm thinking of it, is when they're in the restaurant and they're so specific about what order they want. Yeah. Like, like... maybe that's because I've worked in the service industry, but it's like, oh yeah, come here, I'll have a roast beef sandwich. The waiter's walking away. Oh, and bring the mustard. Oh, and he's walking away again. Oh, bring this, bring this. That I found kind of funny. it's, It's Cary Grant's comedy timing. Is that sort of stuff that does that. It's perfect comedy timing. Cary Grant's done that. That's why Cary Grant is the sort of king of the screwball comedy, in a way. You can't have the genre of screwball comedies without Cary Grant, even though he didn't necessarily start the genre off. Uh, He perfected it, certainly, in the late 30s and early 40s, when, uh, like we said, this, this one is... Is 1940 dead? So, it's right in the middle of 
Cary Grant being screwball comedy king. Did you have any uh, witty stuff that you like? I mean, I can't really pick one. I do like when he calls someone a grey-haired old bag. Because it's just such a... That seems like an insult that you would use. (laughs) It's such a a horrible thing to say, and it's said so quick. But there's a lot of them. But like I said before, my sort of... My favourite... My favourite scene in this whole movie is when he's meeting Bruce for the first time in the newsroom still. And he's just... He's kind of half playing a trick on, on, on Hildy because he's pretending that this old dude who's coming for some sort of, like, question session um, or interview is is her new husband. And I just find it really funny because it's so quick. And Cary Grant, again, with the timing of his um, ignoring of the real Bruce and just going back to talking to this guy, it's it doesn't sound funny at all when it's described but in execution it works it works so well and it doesn't work without the pace it doesn't work that uh howard hawks allegedly sped up the dialogue as it was recorded to make (laughs) it that pace yeah there's something about speed that that's great howard hawks of course directed this very um worthwhile screwball comedy and comedy director really I, i think the only uh, person who can rival Howard Hawks when it comes to screwball comedies is George Cukor. Um, yeah. To be honest, but you know Howard Hawks is great, and you do need to symbolizes like a deadline. I guess everything's going so quickly, and you might miss stuff certainly if you don't like go back and proofread it. I guess you could say the sort of setup of this movie is representing a newsroom deadline in a way of how fast it is yeah everything can come around very quickly and that but there's definitely stuff that isn't you know checked through thoroughly and stuff like that in this uh in this movie um yeah people list certain details about uh, the guy exactly it's get the story and get the story in the way we want the story that's a big thing and it's you know it, it it can be obvious sometimes, but uh, sometimes I feel like it can go over some people's heads. But the media doesn't tell the truth. The media tells the story it wants to tell. And it the does sort of tie into the whole controlled narrative thing with the... I mean, I guess you could call him the villain of the movie, the, the crooked mayor. And the Look, There's no villain to this movie. There is there's an no antagonist movie. in a way, but there's not a... There's not a mwahaha, I'm going to stop no. you doing this. But a must, a moustache twirly twirly person. It, no, there isn't. I mean, with the whole the mayor wanting to do this execution for like political reasons for an election, I've always mm. liked that kind of controlled news angle when it's done well in movies. I mean, we've seen quite a lot of it lately. But oh, uh, yeah. to see it even going back as far uh, as the 40s, I mean, that's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Me- media hasn't changed. Media hasn't changed at all in its style and its its core. Um, it always wants to tell the story it can tell. It always says to people that, "Oh yeah, we're 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 telling the truth," but very very rarely does it give the exact truth because it's always telling the story. It's all about the story. 
and it which can be good in certain circumstances, but for something that and, um, tell you know allegedly tells the truth, stories differently, or they're just biased, yeah. which is another problem. Okay, I think I'm starting to understand this movie right now more as we're talking about it. Yes. Should, I, should we discuss the uh, the gender specifics in this movie as well? Well, absolutely, because this is a battle of the sexies movie. I didn't I didn't know Girl Friday meant a servant, but uh, you know, looking back, that kind of makes sense now, and that's the reason that the whole movie his girl is called His Girl Friday. But the when interesting she... thing is that Hilda is not a servant or a secretary at all. She's she's essentially Lois Lane, very she career is. driven. Very pretty... ambitious. She would have made a great Lois Lane back in the day. I think we we've literally we somehow we've stumbled on the Daily Planet here, haven't we? Somehow we have stumbled on the perfect Lois and Clark. Pretty much of, of the forties of Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. That is exactly correct. Hildy is Lois Lane. There's no Bellamy better way be of Jimmy putting Olsen. that. Sure, <laughs> sure. Um, the crooked mayor is Lex Luthor. Fuck it. Yes. And and the the criminal is um, I don't know some random guy in Metropolis because there's no real small time Metropolis criminal. I don't know. Maybe Bruno I don't know. Mannheim, maybe. Maybe I don't know That's Superman. That's deep cut right there. That's a deep, deep cut. cut. Deep cut Superman. Um, no, I think that's I think that's a perfect description though. Hildy is very much Lois Lane, which I think gives everybody a, a, as much a description as they possibly need. And I think it is really interesting to learn that um, a girl Friday is a, sort of a a servant, a servant or a serving woman or whatever the actual exact description is. Because... I never knew that, but now no. all those times of hearing like, "Oh, my secretary!" Oh, Friday! Someone yelling Friday in okay. an office like that—that that now refers to a secretary, and it's just—it's blowing my mind now how much that's going to change every movie I watch. Well, it's very smart. It's very smart because she couldn't be further from. She is yeah. way more. She Hildy is way more sort of independent than Walter is in this movie. Walter is like, because, well, he's the editor, first of all, so he's obviously dependent on everybody else to do their own job so he can have their job. But he's also really, really desperate to have Hildy back because she was so good as a reporter for him. And he says it so many times, saying, this paper made you into a great reporter. You know we're a great team. He's like, yeah, Cary Grant, okay. Um, she's kind of having a little bit none of it, but then you know the big actual plot happens, and she can't she can't tear herself away from the story, very Lois Lane like. Um, yeah. The, but Walter's way more dependent things. on people. Well, yeah, what? he is. I was saying, like, I was thinking, of, I just thought of the prison riot scene and how insane that is. Yeah. Like. I guess you could look at Cary Grant's character as a guy who, like, maybe he's the the factory side of journalism, where he's got to make sure everything's in ship-top shape, but he mm-hmm. has no... He doesn't really have an individuality to him in the same way that uh, Hilda does. Yeah. And I guess it's like, they kind of need each other to balance that out, because if you have two individuals in a relationship who have very strong personalities, they're going to clash. Absolutely. But if you have someone who balances each other out, then... 
I don't know. That I, That's a very traditional way of looking at relationships, but I guess it works for this. It, look, it is, but I don't think it's wrong. I think Hildy does... I think, well, does she specifically need Walter, or does she just need journalism? I think Hildy needs journalism. I think Walter needs Hildy. Um, which is why this is such a an interesting movie. Rosalind Russell does do this really, really well as well. She is very good at playing these very sort of, you know, really top of the food chain women um, <laughs> who are just completely do everything their own way. This is what I'm good at. This is what I love. This is what I'm doing. Nobody's going to stop me. And I love that. And she does it so, so well. It's a very different kind of character to, um, you know, usually, like you'd say, a, a Catherine Hepburn playing alongside Cary Grant in a screwball comedy, or even if it's like even a, an Irene Dunn who plays alongside Cary Grant in, in a couple of them as well. Um, nobody's quite as... Nobody matches Cary Grant. Or nobody... Hmm, me, me, Maybe that's a maybe that's a wrong maybe that's the wrong word to use because of course all the sort all the stories in the screwball comedies are, are different, um, but in terms of a bat a true battle of the sexes, this is the biggest battle of the sexes in a screwball comedy that I've come across, and I find it really interesting. You know, especially given given it's nineteen forty. Um, given it's the media industry, I find it especially interesting and great, to be honest, that the that Rosalind Russell, that Hildy, comes out very much on top, and everybody loves her as well. All the other reporters love her. It's great. Yeah, she's the well-liked one in the office, whereas, let, let's be honest here, Walter Burns is kind of a dick. He has to be, he's an editor. The st- no, even the stuff he does, like uh, you know, framing uh, fucking Bellamy's character, and yeah, the, the thing that the thing that kind of had me scratching my head was the orchestrating a kidnapping. That's what I'm saying. People want the story. They'll go to any lengths. But it it doesn't treat this movie doesn't really treat the romantic subplot like how you would expect it because no, they they don't, they don't kiss at all. They don't. There's not that awkward scene where they're looking at each other or the big embrace at the end it's just it's like the professional and the romance side of this movie are they're both acting as different subplots but they can't really work as well together so they kind of just they're done independently but i don't know it doesn't this is why i've got to look into screwball comedies more because the structures of them confuse me so much no they because they 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 really kind of have no structure. The plots are always like super convoluted, and like unnecessarily complex. But that's kind of that's not really what they're about. They are yeah. they are they are like that in order to sort of further the chaos of them. Uh, there's something a lot. There's something like I've said very different about His Girl Friday in relation to uh, all the other screwball comedies I've watched. Um, and you just brought it up there. The romance isn't the main focus of this movie. No, it isn't. it's in there, but it's just... It's not even done in the traditional way. No. Usually, 
and going back to one that I know you have watched, the Bringing Up Baby, the romance, it is entirely relevant throughout that. The, you know, the, the it's not as much of a battle. There's no real... Bringing up baby, obviously, it's all about the dinosaur bones and the leopard and stuff like that. But the, so there's there's you know there's work to do. There's a little bit of a professional aspect, but that movie is very much about the budding romance between Cary Grant and and, and Catherine Hepburn. Um, and again, the difference being in in this movie is that at the start of the movie they were. They used to be married. You know, they're a divorced couple rather than a, a newly met couple, which is usually the case. I don't you think, think this of, movie would work if they were a, a newly met couple. Well, no. No, because that's not what the movie is at all. Um, but you look at what really started the screwball comedy off, which was It Happened One Night with Clark Gable, uh, Claudette Colbert, a completely newly met couple. Claudette Colbert arguably is the closest thing we get to Hildy Johnson before Hildy Johnson um, in in It Happened One Night uh, being the fact that she's kind of always always kind of on top in the battle between her and Clark Gable but that movie is very very much about the romance between them two um, so there is something a little bit unique even in the tiny little subgenre of screwball comedies there is something very unique about his girlfriend, but you were talking before about how it sort of compares to Spotlight in terms of well, journalism. Well, Spotlight is is a completely different kind of movie to this. Like, this is a screwball comedy. Spotlight is kind of a very serious drama. But uh, the thing that was interesting in that video with the nerd writers that with movies centered around journalism specifically they're never given like a sort of stylistic flair like uh, you you notice the colors are kind of drab and they're meant to look as realistic as possible and uh, i mean uh, this is this is black and white so you can't really compare the two in that sense but i just thought the sort of uh, domestic way that it's shown in both of them is really interesting cuz there's nothing at all fantastical about either of these movies but yet they're doing very different things. And it just goes to show, like, I've never... I can't think of a single movie involving journalism, like, as the main focus that is sort of a colourful, stylistic film. This is... I think they're designed to be more realistic-looking and sort of reflection of how sort of robotic and factory-like that work area could be. Yeah. I think it's also kind of... It's almost a case of a lot of movies about journalism are biopics or true-to-life stories, you know? Like Spotlight, for example. And um, they can double up as uh, as mysteries as well. I mean, Spotlight kind of does that with... But it's the whole the whole mystery is like that. We know this thing happened. It's just about unravelling it all. And it's kind yeah. of the same thing with Earl Williams here. It's, yeah. It's like, it's like comparing a... It's like it's not like an episode of CSI. It's more like something like Columbo, where they'd show you who the killer was, and yeah. the episode would be about unraveling why it happened. Yeah, it's you know a spot spotlight is way more similar to something like All the President's Men, mm. which is obviously about Watergate 
everybody knows what happened, but that movie is realistic, it's true, and it's a depiction of that true event. And like you said, that movie is very kind of... I like how you say domestically shot, like factory-like, like bland and... Or not colourful, not stylized, because it, it well, it shouldn't be intention- really, because it is a. It's an intentional choice. Of course, it is. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting to compare, because his Good Friday is, of course, entirely fictional. Um, which is why it can sort of. I think it's almost why it can have its style to it it's really really chaotic fast-paced style to it because it's not trying to tell anybody anything they already know it's just a depiction and an entertaining it's, one at that um it's an unraveling it's not a whodunit or anything like that it's like how did this happen it's more about the how, how what where when than yeah. the who and it, yeah. Maybe it's because I've recently have knives out on the brain, but like, uh, okay, I don't know. I've al- I've always liked these kind of uh, when who done it's are not about who did it. It's about like why and how and what. Because that's usually you like look look at the end of a who done it. The how, what, why, and when usually comes in like one monologue at the end. Yeah, and it can feel a little bit convenient, but here it's like spread out through it and you're seeing them resolve the whole mystery as to why it's happening along with the characters so it feels almost like they're treating you like a detective of a kind I like, I've, I've never I can't admit I know I know obviously investigative journalism movies but I've never viewed them as kind of a, a who done it or a, a detective story that's a good comparison. I'd like to, I think There's, I'd like to, I'd like to create some thing. sort of, I'd like to create some sort of double feature of a, a true detective story. Even, even we could even go, we could even go old with it. Get like a a noir, a de- real film noir detective story, like a Bogart movie, pair it with, um, or pair it with something like Ace in the Hole. Ace in the Hole, actually, which I haven't seen for a long time. There's a good journalism movie. Uh, Kirk Douglas. Um, Billy Wilder, actually, Ace in the Hole as well. So maybe maybe Ace in the Hole. Ace in the Hole, I've kind of got that in, in my head now. Um, look, there's a lot of good... There's a lot of good sort of journalism movies out there. Mm-hmm. And... They can be very. They can come in very, very different ways. But I like, I like that you're comparing them to detective movies. There's a challenge to them because the world, the real world of journalism, is not that exciting. Like at least <laughs> if you write it down and what you do all day, it doesn't sound very exciting. So the challenge these movies have is to make them sort of exciting but not completely change what journalism is like these people aren't they're not sherlock and watson no they're not going to be sherlock and watson but you know their stories can do the detective thing but in a different way yeah it's like knowing the answers and trying to prove them it's like essentially this is citing your sources the movie yeah and that you know that's exactly what you get in a 
spotlight or in a in a, all the president's men that's exactly what you get in in, in something like that um and it just happens to be also exactly what you get in an episode of scooby-doo yep so Which is all, all the scooby-doos are essential <laughs> is scooby-doo a whodunit scooby-doo is a whodunit scooby-doo is a supernatural whodunit every episode pretty much is yeah i mean they're not difficult whodunits because it's always the one person you've met in the first two minutes who never comes back again it's harder to do those in tv because someone mentioned this to me on a interview i did rule of the guest star is usually a way to figure out who the killer is like oh who is the killer gonna be is it gonna be the janitor yeah the barber or special guest star brian cranston (laughs) i wonder who it's going to be yeah that's a good point i like that um it's it's very obvious um yeah in that situation the whole earl williams is kind of a bizarre character in this he is now earl williams is the is the criminal the man accused of uh killing the police officer please elaborate on on mr williams he basically says like oh i did shoot the person but then it sort of turns into a lawyer courtroom drama thing with him trying to use economic theory to establish why he had to shoot him and i'm just like this reminds me of a thing we had to do in university in a law class okay where we had to make up some story connecting all the details as to why someone didn't kill somebody even though it looked as if they did and it makes me glad i don't study law because it's basically professional bullshitting well so's journalism so yeah a lot of these are that's what i'm saying it's all about crafting the story to your own to, to 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 be what you want it to be that is what his girlfriend is doing in both and in that way it's commenting on the media as well and also on the law because that's what lawyers and solicitors and people like that do is that they don't care about the truth they care about winning the case or real estate (laughs) people they don't care about the actual details and stuff they want to get a sale they want to go home with their fucking 60 grand well yeah but i'm no i'm not i'm not here saying there's anything wrong with it you know there's nothing wrong with a lawyer wanting to win their case whether it's true or not because that's what they are there to do they are there to win that case for whoever it may be fine that's they're their essentially job different they're different kinds of salesmen in a way you could look at them all as different types of salesmen exactly so are journalists yeah. journalists are selling a story they're not selling the truth they're selling a story posed as the truth it's all lies lies which is which is interesting to me because i i sort of relate to the idea that people are more willing to read non-fiction if it's set up as a story as opposed to it being like a wikipedia article absolutely why do you think people like biopics precisely why do you think people like bio because they are a true story that's just a little bit over stylized and a little bit elaborated on and a little bit more interesting than it actually truthfully was. Yep. 
that's Rocket Man. That's Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> that's every biopic I've seen in the last couple of years. Well, I was even going to link it back to the journalism uh, biopics that we've talked about, the spotlights, the all the president's mm-hmm. men's. Yes, they are true stories, but they've got that little added bit of drama to them that wasn't necessarily there because it has to be there in the movie because it's a movie. If you didn't have that, it would literally be a documentary. And that's not what they are. They are narrative movies. They are not documentaries. That's why there's a difference between a biopic and a documentary. Whereas this, uh, I do believe this was also a stage play at first. Certainly was. Like that. Oh, pretty and much. It also, wasn't, oh. wasn't the first. It wasn't also the first film adaptation of the book it's based on, or play it's based on. Okay, what was that then? I can't remember the name, but something in the 30s also did this story. This uh, exact oh yeah. story? I think, so. yeah, there was a 1931 film of the play called The Front Page. The Front Page? Who did that star? That was, I don't even, I don't even know these people. Who are they? Let's see here. Someone called Adolf Menju, Pat O'Brien, Adolf O'Brien, and... Edward Everett Horton. These sound like supervillains. I've definitely heard of Adolf Manju. Oh, uh, where have I heard him from? I don't know. By Howard Hughes. That's the only thing I recognise. Howard Hughes, Howard Hawks. I always get them confused. <laughs> the front page. Okay, okay. Maybe I should watch the front page then. Yeah, and I think See that's also that... what the play is called. No, okay, fair enough. See how that goes. Um, that's interesting. I like that. Uh, yeah, though, of course it's a, of course it was a play. Pretty much all screwball comedies started off as plays. If it, I think, as a rule, as a rule, if it was a comedy and it was the, in the thirties, the forties, or maybe maybe into the fifties, it was probably a play. Um, <laughs> nobody. Nobody ever did pure film comedies in or the golden age. I don't think I've... I mean, maybe it's because I haven't gone to the theatre in a long time, but do they still do plays like this? I, you're asking the wrong person. I feel like probably not. The only thing like I not. advertised is fucking musicals, which I'm, I'm a fan of, don't get me wrong. I like seeing the Shrek musical. Yeah. Or uh, Aladdin or whatever. Or it's stuff like... Uh, the woman in black which is very sort of atmospheric and all this i can't imagine something like this doing as well today well i mean the thing is the the thing is nolan we also don't live in new york or los angeles that have a lot of tiny little theaters that are hosting interesting little plays from london i am i am I'm, well, you're closer I'm, I'm, to London than I am. I am closer to London than you are, but I'm still away. Are we all, but we also don't live in London that also has tiny, tiny little theatres doing tiny little plays that we've never heard of. So maybe, well, of course, plays still exist. Uh, you know, outside of the big musicals that everybody's heard of and the, the and the pantomimes and stuff like that. Pantomimes, of course, being purely British. My God, could you imagine an American pantomime? No, doesn't happen, doesn't exist, could not possibly exist, could not possibly exist. An American pantomime simply does not exist. It's not a thing, it can't possibly be a thing. Doesn't happen. 
Um, but of course there are. Of course there are. There are tiny little plays. Have I heard of them? No. But the 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 big plays of the twentieth century or of nine, even the nineteenth century um, that are still being performed, like the straight plays, like whether it's like an Arthur Miller play or something like that. Yes, you've heard of them. Yes, if you see on a poster, you will recognise the name and of that play and go, oh, okay, that play is playing. But no, if it's a new thing or a... Especially, especially I feel like, a comedy play, unless it's um, a huge musical, no, I haven't heard of it. Absolutely not. But I'm not into the... You know, I'm not a huge theatre person. I'm a very surface-level theatre person, and I'll, I will admit that. Um, you, you have not seen Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I haven't seen Harry Potter and the Cursed Child because, quite frankly, Nolan, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child does not exist. I'll I'll give you that. It's it's a pretty bad play. Look, I, at least look, the script is bad. I'm I'm sure the play is fine, but the script is awful. That is what I. That is that is pretty much all I hear. I hear that the play itself is kind of excellent, right? Just to watch, just to be in sort of involved in because i know it's really long as well like it takes all day to watch in two parts it's so long that you have to come back for the second part of the yeah. story and buy a separate ticket and when you you don't have to buy a separate ticket do you surely you do oh that's do. ridiculous um no but because jk rowling needs to pay for her fucking edinburgh house or some shit she needs to pay to get the Fantastic Beasts 3 and 4 and 5 off the map. So Fair. that's what she needs to pay for. Um, which are fine, you know, they're fine if, if they're good movies, which, you know, the second one, I still say the second one is a good movie, and I hope that Fantastic Beasts 3 makes the second one even better by telling us all that the end was absolute nonsense. Um, I hope so. If it doesn't or... do that, if it doesn't do that, then it's garbage and i'm sorry i will cry uh, but the cursed child now i'm fully aware of what happens in the cursed child and it sounds literally like the worst thing ever it is but i'm sure that those who go to see it really enjoy it and i'm sure to be honest if i went to see it i would enjoy it for what it was uh, a piece of fan fiction <laughs> a Utterly non-canon story. Shut up telling me that the cursed child is Harry Potter canon. No, it's not. Oh, but uh, you know what is canon? I say that with a big oh. smile on my face. <laughs> what is canon is the weird fucking ending of this movie. Please tell us what the weird ending of this movie is. So basically, they get everything they want. Everything's fine, everyone's happy. And what's interesting to me is Hildy is not happy. This is the first time we see her showing emotion and the cry crying. And I believe in some film theorists, they believe that that's a way to show her femininity. Because, you know, she's surrounded by a bunch of sausages. And, uh, <laughs> she is. She is. Yep. And uh, the interesting thing is they do decide to essentially go on the honeymoon that they never really went on. But just before... They get another story. Yeah. And there's no, like, embrace or anything. And Hildy's been saying for the whole time she wants to be treated like an equal. And all Walter says is, bring your own suitcase, because it's on the way to our honeymoon. 
So you can imagine in the unmade fan fiction, His Girl Friday 2, the second <laughs> Friday-ing, it's all about them go trying to have a honeymoon while solving a story. Yeah, I think I think His Girl Friday 2, the second Friday-ing, should be about them always trying to go on that trip, but then there's always a new big story that comes, and they can't move away from their precious journalism. They love no. the newspaper, Nolan. They love the Morning Post. The Morning Post, by the way, is the blandest name for a newspaper ever. But they love, I, they I, love I, it. I can think of worse names for a newspaper. Uh, the Daily Mail. <laughs> well, yes. It's a very the fair sun. point. A very fair point, yeah. <laughs> a very fair point. Um, but they love the newspaper so much, Nolan. How dare they? How dare they even think about going on a nice holiday together? When there is a story to be told. If they could come up with a better name for the paper, that would be great. Like, come on, give it like a Daily Bugle or something. Like, that's a cool newspaper name. We've, well, we said before that this is essentially the Daily Planet. The Daily Planet. Yeah. And that these two are just Lois and Clark, secretly. Even though Cary Grant is a mix of <laughs> Clark Kent and Perry White. Um. Oh, that, that, is a, <laughs> that is an orgy I don't want to see. What, Clark Kent, Perry White, and Lois Lane. I was thinking just Clark Kent and Perry White. I don't want to see them boning each other. That's no, that'd be very question. Man of Steel 2, everyone. Clark Kent actually... Uh, that's why they've not made it yet. That's uh, that's what Henry Cavill really wants to do. That's why they, that's why they can't get it off the, off the grid, off the mark. A love story with him and Lawrence Fishburne. Because, because yeah, Lawrence Fishburne wasn't into it. Um, Henry Cavill was too much into it. <laughs> Henry Cavill was far too much into it, and Amy Adams. Amy Adams was just, you know, kind of really disappointed she wasn't there. She was just rolling her eyes in the corner, really. He's just going, "Come on, guys, get back to work." And and Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor is the one filming it all. Man of Steel two, <laughs> Man of Steel two. That is that is what happens. Um. Which is why we it will never see the light of day. Oh no. It won't. No. Which is a damn shame. I have <sighs> a feeling that we're gonna end up getting that Michael B. Jordan Superman thing. I'd be into that's, that. That's more likely to happen now than I think a man of steel too. I'd be into that. So am I. He's very charming. I can't look. see him as Clark Kent. I can see him as Superman though. Yeah. That, um, yeah, he's going to have to do a, uh, oh, oh no, you know, I've just had, I've just had horrible vibes of, of Jamie Foxx in Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Michael B. Jordan oh, trying to be Clark Kent, just because they both have the glasses and, oh, no. you know, the kind of sort of nervous guys, um, oh. <laughs> I'm getting, I, I'm getting PTSD flashbacks now of fucking... I don't. Jamie Fox is Max Dillon. I don't think. I don't think Michael B. Jordan would do that, though. No, he, I don't he is think far he too talented that. for that. I don't think he would do that. Um, it would be interesting to see, though. He'd certainly have a more difficult job being a convincing Clark. Yeah, I can see him being the charming Superman, but yeah. I have trouble picturing him as Clark Kent. Does Unless he still? He's the other Superman guy. Does Michael B. Jordan get to keep his moustache? Oh, <laughs> I hope so. Because Michael B. Jordan always has a little moustache. 
He always has a little tiny bit of facial hair. Are we going to allow that to happen? Imagine the scandal. Oh, man. Is it just going to be CGI'd off now? Oh, that's no. that's canon for Superman? Oh, God. There's going to be comic book artists who are drawing <laughs> Superman with the CGI'd mustache off. <laughs> I think, I truly, I truly think that we should just go all out and just... Let Michael B. Jordan like grow a big mustache. Let's just have a pure, full-on mustache. No beard Did or anything. Did like have that. a crazy mustache? Yeah. Yes. Get Michael. He was, he was in Superman three. That's true. <laughs> That's true. There have been mustaches in Superman movies before. Um, although, did Richard Pryor have a mustache in that movie? Oh, I don't know. Because that movie's terrible. I don't know. Um, Get Michael B. Jordan to grow Richard Pryor mustache and be Superman. I love it. I love it. Before we get too derailed, though, uh, I didn't enjoy this movie as much as I've enjoyed other screwball comedies with Cary Grant. I think it's a good addition into it. Yeah. It's really interesting thematically. It's To me, this is the screwball comedy that you'd watch in a film class. It's not probably the one that you'd stick on on a Saturday afternoon. At least for me, anyway. You'll probably... I can see you rolling your eyes at me and massively disagreeing. No, not at all. Not, not at all, because, you know, I I do admit it that I do love his Girl Friday, but it isn't my favourite screwball comedy either. Um, Like I said before, that that is bringing up Baby. I'm surprised if it's ever not bringing up Baby. Um, But I do really like this movie. I understand what you mean when you say this is the one that you would maybe watch in a film class, because I think it's got a little bit more to actually say about the world than a lot of other screwball comedies. And in that way, it's unique. It's very unique. There's more stuff, about, there's more stuff to do with the filmmaking and everything as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that you mentioned before, that little thing that we didn't really talk about too much, but the fact that Howard, uh, Howard Hawks sped up the dialogue. Yeah. That's you know, the fascinating. The average American speech is 140 words per minute. This was 240 That's insane. It's no wonder it feels so maddeningly chaotic. It's a chaotic... I don't know. Is it chaotic good or chaotic evil? I don't I know. I, I, I don't get that whole square I'm, thing. I don't understand I'm it. Thinking, I'm thinking in Dungeons & Dragons terms now. Is that where it comes from? At least that's where I've heard it. I don't understand. I don't understand that whole sort of lawful evil what, what i don't get it i guess that's sort of like uh, a really s- cold and well-dressed evil person whereas chaotic evil is just like joker, joker. yeah okay like joker and lex luther okay although not jesse eisenberg's lex luther that was definitely chaotic gene hackman's lex luther the only reason he was a bit even he was a bit animated. <laughs> he was a bit wacky, to be fair. Yes, he was. Um, I've enjoyed talking about this secret Superman movie uh, today. <laughs> um, unless we have anything else to say on His Girl Friday, Nolan, I think we can start to wrap up this episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. We can. Uh, I enjoy the movie. It's good. Will I watch it again? Unlikely. Unless I'm like really in the mood for it one day but you will watch other screwball comedies happily yeah i like i like the genre yes it's a very good genre it's a it's it's a lovely little 
little subgenre that hit its peak in a a sort of eight year period between like nineteen thirty six ish and forty four ish. Um even though there was a couple before and a couple after. But it, it really that's that's really when it uh hit its peak. Mainly due to the charm and charisma and grace of Cary Grant. Um who of course is the big star of his girl Friday. But this has been a fun this has been a fun show. It's been episode eighty five, eighty four. Oh god, why do I always forget what number it is? I hate that. It's episode eighty something. Episode eighty four slash five of It's a Wonderful Podcast. We've been talking for the Snyder Cut. His eighty four the Snyder Cut. That doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's not the it's not it's got nothing to do with Snyder or anything like that. Um but yeah. This has been uh, we've been talking His Girl Friday from 1940 directed by Howard Hawks. Nolan, do we have any anything we want to uh, say at the end of this show? Do we we know we sometimes like to talk about some uh, recent some topical stuff. topicals before we uh, plug away with our plugs. We we got a Black Widow trailer that looks neat, but Taskmaster looks really boring. I didn't I didn't watch that trailer. I didn't uh, watch. We that. also got a trailer for the next Bond movie. I didn't watch that trailer either. Uh, and it's do. Sadly, what I was afraid was ha- going to happen with that movie is apparently happening. Apparently, Rami Malek's villain in it is going to end up being Doctor No. Like actual Doctor No, like actual full-on Doctor No. Yep, just like how they rebooted Blofeld, uh, I have a feeling he's going to be Doctor No. Uh, and a lot of people think the same way. Uh, However, I will be okay with it on the occasion that this happens somewhere in the movie. So how it's called No Time to Die. Yes. I, you know how James Bond always says like a weird quippy line before he beats the villain? Yes. I saw some tweets saying, like, I'll only accept this if before he kills Rami Malek in the movie, he just says, no, time to die. Oh, dear. Oh, no. Oh, maybe, maybe that will, maybe that will actually happen. Look, I... I'm okay with him being that, but I'd rather he was his own character. Rami Malek's a great actor. The thing is, what, what Bond has done for the last... Really, and... I mean, really what Bond has done since Casino Royale is half-reboot itself. Pretty much. Um, with Daniel Craig. Casino Royale, obviously, was the... It was the first Bond movie ever made, but it wasn't. But it's not an official Bond movie because it's that weird, spoofy slash weird one with David Niven from the late 50s that nobody ever talks about because it's not official. It's not an official Bond movie. Yep. Um, so they rebooted, you know, they essentially redid that with the re- with the real Casino Royale that everybody loves from 2006. Um, then, you know, Quantum of Solace came and went with no impact whatsoever. Skyfall had a lot of impact because it was, it was... Its own thing. It was its own, it was its, it was its own thing. Um, it was half nostalgia... 
um, because it was a, it was celebratory that movie because it was what the fiftieth anniversary of Bond when that came out, so it was a really celebratory movie. But it was also yes. kind of a, it, you know, it, it, it yeah, it, but it, it was completely its own thing. But it felt like something totally different. Yeah, Javier Bardem didn't turn out to be fucking Emilio Largo or some shit. No. Like that. But it, it certainly felt like, it didn't feel like Bond was, I don't think it felt like Bond was like old or past it. I felt like he had, you know, he'd done a bit of stuff, but then he had to sort of come back to it. He had to, well, it was it was kind of Bond coming to terms with his own past. <laughs> Skyfall and the past of, of MI6. Um, and Spectre completely ruined it all. Yeah, and then it, we we get to Spectre, and it's kind of like okay, we started Bond's career with Casino Royale because that's what Casino Royale was. Casino Royale was Bond's first double O mission. So we move on to then, and then Spectre's kind of like okay, we're starting to get into the half timeline of the original Sean Connery's. So we'll throw Blofeld in there, and now, with this one, we'll maybe throw Dr. No in there, and have this weird thing where there's kind of two versions of the same character 50 years apart. I mean, I can kind of see Rami Malek in the Dr. No outfit. He kind of looks like the guy who played him. He does. I don't mind... The idea of Rami Malek as Doctor No, I would have much rather them come out and said he was Doctor No. Yeah, don't pretend for the whole <laughs> marketing that he's someone else. Because they did that with Christoph Waltz and Blofeld. We all knew he was Blofeld. <laughs> oh, he's not even. Imagine if they did. Well, actually, they did do that with a couple of comic book movie villains. The stupid thing is, is that Christoph Waltz's Blofeld isn't even back in this movie, is he? He is. He's in the is trailer. he? Oh, is he actually in the movie? Oh, that's good. Yeah, he's basically Hannibal Lecter now. Okay, no, that's better then. That's okay. I'm actually okay with this. I'm okay with this if they're actually going to show us that this is actually sort of the the modern version of what we got with Connery. I'm okay with that. But I would much rather them outright say that Rami Malek was <laughs> Doctor No. I think he the could be a good doctor. The trailer makes Rami Malek look like a fucking supervillain. Like I, th- he says something that makes it seem as if he has powers. Hmm, well, I've no idea what, and I've no idea what they're going for with it. But if he's playing a cool, creepy villain, yeah, fine. If he's playing Doctor No, fine. If that's all they have to offer besides an actual character arc for him, then yeah, why even bother? I'm always interested to watch. I'm always interested to watch the the new Bond movie, especially these, especially since <laughs> Casino Royale, um, because it is it is that sort of soft reboot as as we call it, kind of thing. Because um, I'm into I'm into Bond, I'm into old Bond. You know, I, I like recognizing things that were in Bond fifty years ago and are coming back. Like I enjoyed the fact that. Blofeld was in Spectre, but I would have so it rather the I would have rather it have just been yes, this organization is Spectre, this is Blofeld, 
rather than it just be, oh, what if it's something else? It's not something else, though, is it? Because it's just not. Stop trying to tell us it's something else. That's my problem. I will, li I will like if Rami Malek is Dr. No, as everybody seems to think he is. I will enjoy that. I will not enjoy the fact that for an hour and a half of the movie, they are guaranteed to go, oh, no, his name's Mr. Flubbidlublublub, who who's from Jamaica, because that's where oh, Dr. No was. Do they go to Jamaica? They probably go back to Jamaica. Yeah. They f they filmed some scenes in Jamaica. It's I think definitely Doctor No. Just Doctor call no. it Doctor No. Just call it Doctor No. If you're going back to Jamaica, you're gonna get the stupid mango tree song that Sean Connery sings. Somebody's... Apparently, it's about him him looking for a scientist that was abducted. This is just Doctor. No. Right. Okay. I'm just going to go into it saying that then. I mean, it does have no in the title, No Time to Die, which is a good quip. I, I, really, I really hope that's what he says. I, hope, I hope that's what he says as well. I like that a lot. Um, there we go. There we go, guys. I think that's going gonna... to... I don't think he'll... I hope he doesn't get Doctor No's death from the original movie. That oh, I hope he does. Brutal. I hope he does. That's... I like I that, though. Boiling to death. Uh... Yeah. Boiled to death in his own pit of... Yeah. That's a good death. There's some good old deaths. When, when's, the, when's the reboot of Live and Let Die coming? That's my question. Oh, Christ. Live and Let Die is the that. wackiest movie. Live and Let... I would say that's the worst part of the movie. No, 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 no. Live and Let Die Are is secretly the best movie. Are we talking about the one with all the weird voodoo shit? Yes. Right? Yes, we are. Oh, Christ, that movie's so bad. Live and Let Die... <laughs> Live and Let Die is great. I will hate it. I love the voodoo in Live and Let Die. It's so weird. The, the villain's name's Mr. Big. He blows up at the end. Literally. He becomes... He looks like Violet Beauregard from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, and then he blows up like a balloon. And he's called Mr. Big, and it's Yafet Kotto from Alien. Good actor. Good. good actor. Very good actor. It's also a little bit kind of like, oh, we're from the Caribbean, we are all voodoo people, which is a little bit questionable, but, you know. Yep. <laughs> what uh, is Bond if not questionable? True. Well, on Sunday, we are going to get a Wonder Woman 84 trailer, finally. Oh, is that true? Maybe I will, maybe I will actually watch that trailer. And um, they have, uh, there has been a leaked photo of Cheetah. Okay, does she look good? Oh, God. Well, this, well, the, the thing is, that's what people are complaining about, because uh, it's just, Chris, this photo is just Kristen Wiig in, like, a Cheetah, like, fucking coat. Okay. Which I assume is not her look in the movie, but people seem to think it is. That would be kind of cool, though. That fits with the 80s. If it's, honestly, for Cheetah, I want her to have, like, the fucking glam rock, rock you like a hurricane, Cheetah hair, and shit. I do want you, this to be, like, a cross between The Fly and American Werewolf in London. Do you secretly want Cheetah to look like some of the cats from Cats? No, that is the worst thing I can see. <laughs> well, granted, that Cats trailer is terrifying. 
Yeah. I had nightmares for days about the Cats trailer. I've seen some of the pictures. You know me, I I don't really watch trailer. To be honest, I probably won't watch the Wonder Woman trailer because I'm going to go and see the movie, just like I'm going to go and see the Bond movie, just like I'm going to go and see the Black Widow movie. Uh, I'm not going to go see the Cats movie. (laughs) It's not happening. Um... It does Unless look Janine terrifying. makes you do Morgan hasn't seen cats. Janine will not make me do Morgan hasn't seen cats movies at all. So <laughs> it's not going to happen. Or oh. musicals or anything like that. It, it's it's not going to happen. I wonder if Tom and Kimber's cats have cameos in it. Probably Maybe not because they'd have to. Character. Probably not. Well, she is, but probably not. They'll be. They'll have to be weird human cat amalgamations. I turned off when I saw the Judy Dench one. <laughs> it was like I did not need to see a Judy Dench such a cat hybrid. There is such a big cast in that movie as well. It's, <sighs> Idris Elba. Why is Idris Elba a cat? Oh Christ! Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen's in that movie. Taylor Swift's in that movie. Taylor Swift, I can understand. Judy but... <laughs> Judy Dench, like you said, who's why is Judy Dench doing this? My least favourite person in the world, James Corden. Uh, yeah, well, there's there's our excuse to not go and see the movie. He'll, he'll be a tabby cat, maybe. I hope uh, I hope Idris Elba stamps on him. Yeah, stamps on his tail. Not, stamps on his little tail. <laughs> not, not a fan of the James Corden, but uh, mm. I am a fan of something I've been watching on Netflix recently. Okay. Uh, uh, Dairy Girls. Dairy it's Girls is funny. a fantastic show. It is extremely funny. It is. It's very, very good. I do believe it's the based... um, they only have the one series on on Netflix. They do, but I've seen season two anyway. Oh, that's good. I was gonna, I was going to suggest that you that you go and watch a, a season two. It's a very good show. For those uh, uninitiated, it's basically Irish John Hughesy stuff, but very crass. Yeah. And it's it's set in the uh, the troubles in Northern Ireland in the uh, well in Derry in the nineties. Um, it is very crass. It's also kind of like would it, it it feels like one of those shows. And I'm sorry to say this because, like I've said before, I love all our American listeners but it feels like a show that americans have to put the subtitles on for sometimes i have to rewind it a bit to understand what they're saying it is like that i mean it is very very thick accents you know um i didn't i I don't like watching my own language with subtitles on That's fair. Have they made a Manchester like in betweeners y kind of show? Oh, I don't know, probably. I guess fresh meat, but that's not really the same thing. I didn't watch that. I didn't watch that show. But Derry Girls though, no Derry if you can find Derry Girls anywhere. Um definitely, definitely watch it. I know for us it's on it's on Netflix UK and it'll be on all four for people in the UK. Um, no idea what it would be on if you were in the US, to be honest. Maybe Netflix, but... Maybe. I really, really I feel don't like know. the character you relate to the most is James. 
Well, he's kind of the only guy. The the only English guy who doesn't want to harm anybody is just a nice person. Yeah. Who gets all the abuse from Do- everyone. Well, he only gets the abuse because they're all Catholic. They are all, they're all Irish Catholics in the 90s, so naturally they hate English people. Which is a big part big part of that show. It's a it's a good show because it's very, very funny and dealing with very serious things. I keep rewinding the scene of his rant in the fish and chip shop. It <laughs> even if you don't watch the show, look at that scene on YouTube. It's yeah. fucking hilarious. It is a very good show. It is a very good show. And I like that you are that you are watching uh that you're watching that show. I believe for for good quality television, I believe Today, and by today I mean when this episode drops, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel Season 3's out. Ooh, I do need to catch up on that show. It is I believe, I believe it is. I hope I'm not wrong, but I believe it is, so I shall be uh, thoroughly binging that. It is a wonderful, wonderful show. And for other shows, you get, you know, your Mandalorians. Everybody likes the Mandalorian. Fine, no worries there. That's all we're going to say on that. It's great. Guys, there we go. That is going to do it for another episode of It's a Wonderful Podcast. It's been a fun one, as ever. Like we said before, we've been talking His Girl Friday from 1940. And uh, naturally, some topical topicals with some random movie trailer news and news and whatever 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 that's always fun to talk about nolan where can everybody find you what is happening you can find me at nolan dean 27 and if you're in the renfrew area at all you can find me pulling double shifts at marks and spencers there you go shifting milk around lifting stock working on tills and popping as many Red Bulls as I can to stay awake. And complaining about various movie trailers. Guys, you can find this... Uh, it's, well, they, well, for what? This is not the only show you can find on this feed. This is, of course, the main show, but you can also find Morgan Hasn't Seen every Wednesday with me and Janine. Janine takes me through series of movies that I have never seen um, and forces me to watch them. We are about to start our Disney animated series which is going to provide some very questionable opinions, not just from me, but from Janine as well. And Disney always promotes wonderful discussion, I think, on on all fronts. And uh, it's very, very fun. It's very, very fun. So that is what is coming up on Morgan Hasn't Seen You Do, of course. Also have Machine Mondays every Monday with Janine talking all things schmodown that's what's going on on this feed every week monday wednesday and this show every friday every other friday with nolan alternating with janine um leave us a call on anchor there is a link in every description of uh, of every episode to leave us a, a voice message over on anchor and you can find the show on Anchor, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, CastBox, Podcast Addict, whole bunch of others. Stitcher, did I say Stitcher? I don't know. But there is so, so many places you can find this podcast feed. Go and check them out all over there. Follow the show on Twitter at It's a Wonderful One. Follow me on Twitter at the Purple Dawn with the three instead of the E in the because three is the magic number. Or on Instagram at the Purple Don. Nolan, there's only one thing left 
for me to ask of you, and that is mm -hmm. to see us out. Oh, thanks for listening, guys. I don't have anything witty to say. Watch His Girl Friday, because it's Friday. See you later. He's not as good as Kerry Grant, guys. Bye.